who sometimes try to do good things. And if we're honest, usually we do good things for others because we want them to do nice things for us. And even our good works are typically self-serving. They're about reputation or image, which is why you cannot be saved through church membership or good works. You can only be saved through the grace of God. Now, people, that's bad news. Because prideful people think, well, I I don't think I'm as bad as so-and-so. I never killed nobody. I think I should get into heaven because I'm not as bad as somebody else. But humble people recognize how holy and perfect and loving God is. And they can never meet up to the expectations of God's holiness and his love. And they're thankful for grace. Because grace is not about what you do for God, but what God did for you. Grace is undeserved kindness and favor and this morning, if you're trusting your church membership, your baptism, or anything good you, are, you have done, the Bible says that you're only saved by grace through faith, which is trust. Jesus died for you. If you could save yourself by church membership, baptism, good works, why would Jesus die? But he died because you're a sinner and he wants to save you. And so it was at 12 years old that it clicked for me, that it wasn't just some prayer, it's not magic words, it's trusting Jesus who loves you and died for your sins. But I was afraid of what people in my church would think because I had already been saved twice. And I knew at my church, if you got saved, you had to get up in front of everybody and get a te- give a testimony, and that was terrifying. And so I pushed it off. And it was about that time the Left Behind series was coming out. Does anybody remember those? Horror novels for Christians. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Antichrist spews out demon frogs and they take over world leaders. And I'm listening to this on the way to soccer practice with a family from the church. And I'm thinking, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm not saved. I don't want to be left behind, but I'm scared of getting saved because of what people will think. And one day after soccer practice, I fell asleep on the couch and my whole family went for a walk. <laughs> And I woke up and there was nobody in the house. And I thought that I missed the rapture. So I was running around looking under beds, looking in the closets. And I was about to break down and cry. And my mom walks in and she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. I'm good. I'm fine. You know, just <laughs> pretended like it was okay. And after weeks of God in love making me miserable, on a Sunday night, my pastor was preaching that the issue is not a prayer. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not necessarily you making a commitment to God. It's you receiving God's commitment to you that when you trust him, he'll save you. That we all have a wound in our souls that's infected with sin and the only cure is the blood of Christ. And through faith, the blood is applied by the Holy Spirit to your heart. And I will never forget that Sunday night. I grew up in church. I memorized all the Bible verses. I knew it all in my head. But I went out, and I remember, it's not the prayer that saves you, it's Jesus. But when I prayed and put my faith in Christ, it was like that old Pilgrim Progress book, that weight just rolled off my shoulders. And I remember feeling the freedom. It was 13 when God called me to preach. I was at a Christian camp. I was always the smallest one. At 15 in high school, I was singing alto in the choir. Super embarrassing. (laughs) Finally, I hit my growth spurt. I'm not... Is lucky to be tall like Pastor Bruce, but you know, at least I'm not five foot four anymore. And I thought nobody wants to hear Mickey Mouse preach the gospel. <laughs> and so I, I, I just was resisting. And I remember at camp, the Holy Spirit said, It's not about you, it's about what God can do through you. So I remember going up to the cafeteria, I responded to the invitation. Nobody, nobody even noticed me, which is fine because I didn't really want to talk to anybody, anyways. Nobody noticed me. I just went up and I got on my knees in the corner of the cafeteria at the camp and I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. 
I'll be whatever you want me to be. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And it's not that I've been a perfect Christian from, since then. And it's not that I'm a perfect Christian now. But God's grace has been with me all the way. And by his grace, I'm going to continue to live my life with hands wide open. I never thought God would let me do the things that he let me do. And I don't say any of this to glorify me. I don't want any glory because everything good in my life is, is Jesus. But that little 13-year-old boy who was scared to get up and, and speak in public, who would cry every time he sang in church, God has, God has let that boy, in spite of his weaknesses and mistakes and failures, preach in 14 countries, see souls saved in each one of them, travel in 45 different states, mentoring with an evangelist this summer. God led me to, led me to speak in youth camps. We had poor kids in Ringgold, Louisiana. Some wealthy man gave a few thousand dollars to the camp and said, hey, I want to bring these unchurched poor kids into the camp so they can hear about Jesus. Talk about treasure in heaven. You know, he's not putting it in his 401K. He's putting it in a camp because he believes he's going to get 100% return investment up there. And, and we had little kids. This kid named Trinidad came, and I could just see he was sad the first day. I said, hey, man, how are you doing? I was trying to talk to him. I said, are you okay? And Trinidad said, I'm not really okay. And I knew he wasn't because I could see on his face. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, my dad got deported to Mexico, and a few weeks ago, my mom, or a few months ago, my mom died. We, my brother found her dead in the room. So now he's living with his aunt and uncle, but somebody heard about him, and he and his two younger brothers trusted Christ that week. His two younger brothers said, this is one of the best weeks of our lives. And I just got to be a part telling them about the grace of God. And so let's not forget that in spite of the craziness in the world, God is still doing things. And we still have the Holy Spirit, and God is still faithful. And so I want to take this life-changing message that has changed my life and continues to change my life. Because you ever live, live the Christian life and you're kind of like, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm not as far as I wish I was. And the gospel is there to say, yeah, and Jesus died for you, and he's there to keep pushing you forward by grace. God doesn't give up on us because of what Jesus did. And so I want to share with the part of the world that I'm about to share with you this life-changing message. So we can go to that next slide. This is an area of, of Myanmar and India. And 150 years ago, these people were headhunters. Now, they don't dress like this on the daily. This was for a festival that I got to visit. But a man from Scotland heard about them while the British were kind of imperializing this part of the world. And he said, I want to go and educate these savages. So he gets on a boat sponsored by the Anglican Church. And so he believed that he was going to get to heaven because he was going to go do good works and, and earn his way to heaven. But he runs into some Methodists who are gospel preaching. He ends up hearing the gospel and getting saved. So now the British say, you can go and try and talk to these tribal groups, but they're savages. They might kill you. And so he's going, and they're running him off. And he comes to this particular tribal group called the Tunkul Nagas. And rite of passage for these boys, 16 to 18, was you got to go fight in a battle, kill another guy from the other tribe, cut off his head, bring it home as your trophy. And that's kind of like their rite of passage. So this, this brave Scottish guy is going, trying to make connections. He was a linguist. Well, their, their story that the elders here told me was that he went to go and talk to them and the, the warrior saw him and thought he was a spy of the British. So they were going to kill him. They had the bamboo spears. They were going to stick him. And the chief comes down and says, no, wait, 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 you can't kill him. And they say, chief, why? He says, because my great-grandfather had a dream that a man with pale skin, I pointed my hand, not my face, because this isn't pale right now. 
with pale skin and chicken feather hair would tell us about eternal life. And they kept him alive. And he ended up starting a school. Eventually the chief gets saved. And now this claim, these people are no longer headhunting, which is great because I got to keep my head. And they claim to be a Christian village. Now, I don't believe God gives extra biblical revelation. God's not going to give you a dream to tell you doctrine outside the But if God wants to give somebody a dream so they'll listen to somebody tell them about Jesus, I'm okay with that. And I'm glad God did it. And so I've been able to go to this part of the world where they were formerly headhunters. And the problem is, because they're, they're tribal, they think, oh, if you're born into this tribe and you're baptized at 12, you're automatically saved. You're a Baptist now. And obviously, that's not the gospel because that's not faith in Christ. That's trusting works you can do. But I've been able to go into English-speaking schools and churches in this area. And I've gone into probably half a dozen schools right into the classroom, spend 50 minutes teaching these kids, and God has allowed us to see dozens upon dozens of young people put their faith in Christ. And God is still working because some, some plant and some water, but God gives the increase. And so we can go to that next one. I'm going to move through these quickly now. 1040 window, those are the latitude lines of 10 and 40 north going across northern Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. Now, why this is significant is because missionaries were studying tribal groups and unreached people groups back in the 80s. And they realized that this is 66% of the world's population in this window. And almost every one of these countries is less than 2% Christian. I learned this 10 years ago at a missionary prayer band in college. And it literally broke my heart. I walked down into the desert for an hour and I wept. Because in India... There are 1.2 billion people in India is less than 2% Christian. And I said, God, how are we going to let 1 billion people from one country go to hell? And many of these tribal areas, because the Hinduism is so violent, people aren't even going there and preaching the gospel. And so God has put it in my heart to partner with the few believers that are here who God has allowed me to meet through another ministry. God has given me connections And I want to go to these unreached people groups, pioneer up into some of these villages in the Himalayas and other areas. And in order to keep from getting beat up and thrown out, I would like to raise finances to put in a well so they can have clean drinking water. Some of the poorest people in the world have to pay the rich person on the top of the hill just for clean drinking water. Would you agree that's kind of messed up? And so I want to come in as a Christian and help provide clean drinking water and say, this is provided by the one who can give you everlasting water that never runs dry that will spring up in you into life eternal. And so my vision is to pioneer some works into this part of the world so that people who have never heard the gospel can hear it for the first time. So we can go to the next one. This is just kind of, this isn't the 1040 window. This is Malawi, Africa, but that's a $40,000 Coca-Cola truck. It's going to sell a warm Coca-Cola because there's no refrigeration. There's no running water and no electricity in this village. They're going to sell a warm Coca-Cola in that shack that looks like it's about to fall over. And people are so poor in this area of the world, it's hand to mouth, that a Coca-Cola costs about half a day's wage. Many of them will never have a Coca-Cola. When we come, I help the missionary do medical clinics. I help with the triage. I preach the gospel, did a kid's program, bring soccer balls. They're so poor, the, the schools can't afford soccer balls. So if you bring a soccer ball to this poor part of the world and say to the principal, we'll let you keep this soccer ball, he'll let you take the kids for like the whole day, preach the gospel to them, teach them, answer their questions. It's awesome. 
And the thing is, just about anybody could do that. They just have to be willing. They have to be willing to eat some chicken feed and push the intestines around their stew and get to the rice. But hey, I'm still alive. It's a great diet program too. It keeps you skinny. And so God has let me go to this part of the world. But I thought, how is it that Coca-Cola has got their drink in every corner of the world, but many people have never heard the gospel one time? And so this is not to guilt anybody, because you should not serve God out of guilt. You should serve God out of love. Because if you don't serve him out of love, you get no rewards in heaven. But the very least we can do is pray, right? 1 Timothy 2 says we're to pray for kings, for all that are in authority, and for all men, because God will have some people to be saved, or God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so that's just kind of an eye-opener for Americans of how blessed we are and how needy the world is. So we can go to the next one. Uh, This is an area where the church, this is the first church that's ever been planted in this village, and a false preacher came in. Because there are so few Christians, they're not busy attacking each other. They're trying to help each other. And so the problem, though, is sometimes they don't vet the other preacher, and this preacher came in and told them that unless they have a spiritual experience, they're not saved. So I walked down, and I took a video. Uh, We're not going to listen to it, but you hear women screaming like they're dying, and they think that they're trying to get the Holy Spirit to come out of them so they can be saved. Well, I got to, the the pastor of this church said, oh, I don't agree with this at all. You're preaching next. (laughs) Well, thanks. You know, gave me the curveball. But I just went through the scriptures and showed them what it means to be spirit-filled, love, joy, peace, the sealing of the Holy Spirit when you trust Christ, He's given to you as a down payment so your, your salvation can never be taken away because God has given a down payment for you. And we saw two ladies that heard the screaming come in and they ended up wanting to trust Christ and receive the Holy Spirit after the service. And the church is no longer, they call it tongues, it was just chaos. But uh, we can go to the next one. There are over 25 million orphans in India. Because of the caste system, if you're born and you look a certain way, you have a certain last name, they can tell by looking at you that you're of a poor caste, and they don't have to help you. you. You may not even have a chance to work your way into the middle class because you deserve to be poor because you were bad in a past life, so you have bad karma. Aren't you glad that Christians don't teach karma, but we teach mercy and grace? There is no God like our God. We can go to the next one. 90% of the world's poorest people are in the 1040 window. 66% of the world's population in America sends 3% of its missions dollars to reach 66% of the world. One of the reasons, again, is it's very hard to get there. Uh, Some of the countries that I'm going to be going to are restricted. I go in on a tourist visa. Thankfully, I'm young, and they just think I'm a hippie that's there. So, you know, they're not thinking I'm a missionary, so that works to my advantage to go in and work with many of the youths there. Uh, But I want to challenge you to to pray. I have some prayer cards. There are some on the back. You can sign up as well to get uh, monthly emails. So once I can finally get over there, once COVID lets me get over there, I can continue to do the ministry. Right now I'm raising prayer support. Because if I can't get over there, God's there and your prayers still work. And so I have my prayer cards. If you don't like my picture, just cut it off. That's fine. But take this 1040 right here. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it. For me, I pray every Thursday for Indian 1040 window. Every Thursday. Ten years ago I told God, don't let me sleep on a Thursday until I have prayed for India. There's maybe been a handful of times when I've fallen asleep. Sometimes I'm laying in bed and it's like 3 a.m. and I'm like, why can't I sleep? And God's like, well, you didn't pray for India today. Remember what you told me? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Thank you, God, for for reminding me. Because I do believe in prayer. And I do believe one of the reasons that our churches 
have become powerless many times is because we're relying on programs more than prayer. Prayer is hard. Prayer is hard. I'm in ministry and prayer is hard. I get on my knees. Everything I got to do that day is coming to my mind. I get on my knees, all this stuff in the room, my, my phone's going off. I'm thinking, how many of you would agree that if there's a Satan and he can throw fiery darts, he, he, can't, he can't overtake us, but he can throw fiery darts? How do you know Satan wants to stop us from praying if he can stop us from doing anything? I got two younger brothers that desperately need the grace of God in their lives. And the only way that I'm going to get through to them is not by arguing them into the kingdom, but I got to pray them in. Some of us have family members. You look at America. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, saith the Lord. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But we will trust in the Lord our God. We are not going to change this country through voting in morality because Israel had the whole Testament law and they fell into idolatry. We need Jesus Christ to become king of people's hearts. The answer is always Jesus. And that comes through prayer. We got desperate for God two elections ago, and then we got a little overconfident this last one. And maybe God is saying, hey, I'm your real hope. I'm your real hope. So anyways, I'm preaching now. I'm just supposed to be sharing my ministry, okay? Uh, we, we can go to the next one. This is an area where uh, this man knows that if he tries to build a church building, they'll just burn it down. And so he started an English-speaking school in order to create connections in the community and educate these poor kids. And he asked me to come in and do an assembly, since I'm decent at speaking English. And so I, I did that, and I was just doing some little gospel magic tricks. And he said, tell us about your homeland. So I wanted to talk about our holidays, Christmas. So I said, on Christmas, we all give gifts. Why? Because the one true God who created everything wrapped himself in flesh. He came and he lived a sinless, perfect life, and he healed people, he loved people, he cared for the poor, he cared for the widows. Even if they had bad karma, God still wanted to save them. And I went through and I said, and we give gifts because God gave the gift of eternal life through Jesus. When he died on the cross, he can forgive you of your sins and he rose from the dead so you don't have to go through the wheel of incarnation. When you put your faith in Jesus, you just get to have eternal life with God forever. Amen. And so they don't know, they think I'm talking about Christmas. I'm just preaching the gospel. And one of the teachers came up to me afterwards and said, I've never heard that before. That was really inspirational. Are you a motivational speaker? <laughs> I said something like that. And so through working with nationals, I'm not going to be just staying in one area. Sometimes I'll stay in an area for two or three months to help a national get the church going. But I have opportunities to go to these areas where you can't really have an official church, but partner with these nationals to creatively get the gospel to people who may not be able to hear it. I can't tell you how privileged I feel to be able to do this. And I can't wait to get back, but I need your prayers that God will protect me, open the doors, and that I can get back. So we can go to the next one. Uh, this is a school in that tribal area. So that one tribal area became Christian, and now the gospel started spreading, and almost all of those tribal groups are either Hindu, but the largest majority of them are no longer headhunters. They claim to be Christian. And so they let me go into English-speaking schools like this one, preach to 500 kids. All of these kids grew up in church, but they're not preaching the gospel. And I was shocked because I could tell this trip, a lot of people follow me on Facebook, and that's one good way to keep up. I only share some things with friends because I can be kicked out of the country so I don't put it public. So if you want to keep up, Facebook is another way to do it. But I knew all these people were praying for me. And when I preached at this school, I gave the invitation. I said, how many of you right now want to put your faith in Christ? In front of all their friends, 200 teenagers raised their hand. 
And I was like, uh, I don't know. If, I don't, it, lack of faith, right? I don't know if that's really right. So I said, okay, put your hands down. Let me explain it again. You're putting your faith in Jesus. You're turning to Christ as the only way of salvation. You're trusting Christ who died for you and rose from the dead to save you from your sins. And right now, put your faith in Jesus to become a child of God. And you realize that when you do that, you come under God's care and you need to turn from sin because you're a child of God. How many of you right now want to put your faith in Jesus Christ? 200 hands. Okay. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's Jesus. But right now, you can pray and put your faith in Christ. The principal came up to me afterwards with a tear coming down and said, I've been going to church my whole life and I've never heard that before. She said, thank you, I need that. And so God, just through working with nationals, God is just allowing me to go and sow seeds. And sometimes I preach and nobody gets saved. And it's a bummer, but at least they had the chance to hear it. And so we can go to the next one. And this is the last one in the slide. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Psalm 50. I'll share this story in just a second. Going to go to Psalm 50. I've been reading through the Psalms every night before bed and just really thankful for this incredible book of, of heart cries before God. And I always want to be encouraging. There's such a spirit here this morning. Pastor Bruce, thank you for letting me preach. I've really enjoyed your people already, the, the singing, and I just. I feel like the Spirit of God is here. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And I never want to come in and put a wet blanket on it. I never want to do that, but I'm an evangelist, so we just kind of see the problem and go straight at it. I don't know the about this church. Pastor Bruce has not said one thing negative about this church. If I say something and you're like, did Pastor Bruce tell him that? He didn't, Okay. <laughs> Pastors do that, but he didn't, all right? It was the Holy Spirit. I don't want to throw a wet blanket on anything because there is such a good spirit here. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4 that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And so I'm going to preach a message, and it's going to be straightforward. It's not because I don't like you. I just want our churches to be God, because the world needs the church to be on fire for Jesus. So let me, let me share this with you. We're going to get into the word. I hope I don't come across as mean, kind, judgmental. I've really enjoyed being here, but I got to preach the truth, and I got to preach what God put in my heart. And usually as an evangelist, you preach the ones you've preached a lot because they make you feel good. They sound really good. You got your funny stories and all that. I'm preaching a brand new message this morning, so pastor, I can relate. <laughs> and so I'm, I hope that God will so let me share this story, we'll pray, and then get into the text in Psalm 50. So this is in the Himalayas. And when we posted this on the internet, make sure my name isn't attached to it. So just if you guys share it to your Facebook live stream, you can post it. Just make sure my name isn't on it. So if they Google me, they can't find it. Um, but we went to this, this house, and this is just a few of the ladies. It was a gathering of maybe 20 people. And because this is such a violent area... If you accidentally kill a cow, it's a sacred animal, you can spend two years in jail. Uh, if you eat a cow, you won't go to jail, they'll just beat you up. <laughs> and the police won't do anything about it. So we all show up 30 minutes apart, and it's 11 o'clock at night. Usually people go to bed really early there because they get up with the sun. But we all show up 30 minutes apart so as not to draw attention. We have the service, we preach, and we go to bed. Everybody's sleeping in different rooms in the house. India, one of their phrases is, our guest is a God. 
our guest is our God. Now, they don't really think that about me because they're Christians, but the idea is if you're a guest here, we're going to spoil you. And so I have to stay in the same room as the pastor, his wife, and his daughter. Very uncomfortable, but that's just culture. Sometimes you've got to leave America behind you to reach people. And so I say, okay, I'll sleep on the floor. And they say, no, the girls are going to sleep on the floor. Now, I was raised by my mama to know better than that. And by my dad. He would pop me in the head. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. The ladies are not going to sleep on the floor. I'll sleep on the floor. They said, well, the ladies are going to sleep on the floor. So if you don't sleep in the bed, nobody's sleeping in the bed. Okay. <laughs> so out of love for them, to make them feel good, I slept in the bed. Five o'clock next morning, I wake up. There's five ladies having a conversation with the ladies on the floor around my bed. I wake up. They're like, oh, you can go back to sleep. I'm like, nope, I'm up. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. And everybody leaves 30 minutes apart early in the morning, again, so that they don't draw attention to the gathering because if you convert from Hinduism, in some parts of India, it's illegal. You have to stay within the religion you are born. Now, if you convert from Hinduism or Christianity to Hinduism, that's not a punishable crime. But if you convert from Hinduism to Christianity, that's against the law. So you see how that works. And these ladies said to me through the national, who was my interpreter, they said, you are the first Western Christian who has ever visited us in this village. And they said, we're so glad you came because you'll take us back with you to America and Americans will begin to pray for us. Because they think we in America are God's chosen people. Technically, we're not. That's Israel. But we are certainly blessed with a lot of churches, a lot of gospel radio, a lot of gospel TV. There's a lot of terrible gospel radio and gospel TV too, but a lot of good gospel TV and radio. And again, the Bible says that we are to weep with those who weep. Paul said that you are to pray yourselves for those who are in prison, being yourself also in the body. And I know it's hard to keep up the emotion of a service, but sometimes we got to have a little bit of commitment. Choose a lunch break, put a reminder on your phone, choose a day of the week and say, God, I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to scroll Facebook. I'm not going to do my recreation on this day until I have prayed for my brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. Because if we send bombs into the Middle East, but we don't send prayers we're better patriots than we are Christians. Our government has to protect us. That is their God-given responsibility. But we as the church are called to send out grace and mercy. And if we send troops, but we forget to pray that their souls would be saved, we know not the spirit we are of. Can we pray together now for the 1040 window that God would do miracles? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. We're only saved because you first loved us. We didn't come and find you. You came and found us. You drew us through the Holy Spirit. You opened our eyes to see our sinfulness and our need for Jesus. And only through Jesus can we be saved. And I thank you that you have provided a way. Because I know for me, if it was dependent on my own goodness, I would never make it. So I thank you for your grace. Father, I pray for the 1040 window, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, communists, socialists, that the Holy Spirit would pour over that land and that people would be convicted that Jesus is the only hope for the world. I pray for the persecuted church in China, one of the fastest growing in the world, that they would stay strong and hold to their faith. I pray for those in Afghanistan right now who are facing persecution like we cannot imagine. 
that you would give them peace and grace. I pray for those in India whose entire society is against them because of their faith, that you would give them the courage to stand strong, to be baptized out of obedience, and to follow Jesus. And God, I pray for the American church, that we would get our eyes off of politics and onto the only solution, which is people getting saved. Father, forgive us for putting our faith in the wrong places. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very interesting text. The Old Testament is very visual. In Protestant churches, we typically have things very plain. When you go to some of the old cathedrals in Europe, which I haven't been to, but you see the pictures, you know, they have the huge paintings on the ceilings and they have all of the fancy fixtures and their churches are very fancy, but God doesn't live in a church building. He lives in the people. But in the Old Testament, God was giving a time where he visibly showed up for people. And it's very visual how, how they saw God. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain, there was the lightning and the thunder and God spoke and the people were afraid. They're like, Moses, you can talk to God, but we're afraid we're going to die. So you talk to God, we'll stand back here. Because if your heart isn't right with God, he's scary. But if your heart with, is right with God, the Bible says that he that feareth is not made perfect in love. But when you love God with all your heart, even if you make mistakes, when you repent, you know you have a loving father who's waiting for you to come back. So God is on the mountain. Moses comes down and he looks kind of like me. His face is glowing because he spent time with God and he puts the veil over it. And so in the Old Testament, they use a lot of very visual representations of God. And, and in the beginning of this psalm, God is going to call Israel. God judges all the nations, but he says, Israel, you're my chosen people and it's time for you to give account of your life. And so God is calling Israel before him figuratively as a judge. And so let's read the first few verses here. It says, The mighty God, even the Lord hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. He's very powerful. Out of Zion, the city, the capital of Israel, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. The beauty was not the city, but God in it. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. These are the saved people who through faith made a covenant with God that they would follow him. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is so I want you to picture in your mind this cosmic judgment. I want you to picture the light of God glowing out of Jerusalem. The earth rising before the sun. All of the stars and the moon gathering close. Almost like the stars and the moon and the sun themselves are the jury. That's a pretty intimidating picture, right? Because everything, they say everything you do exists forever. Because... Light reflects, goes off into the universe, trickles out. Everything you do exists somewhere in the universe forever and also in the mind of God. So God is calling his people to judgment. And the jury are the, are the heavens. Look at what God says in verse number 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. Israel, I will testify against thee. I will not for sacrifices or your religious religion. Take no bullock, 
out of thy house, nor he-goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine in the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? What is the point here? God is saying you are continually acting religious, but you're coming up short. God is saying you, you come to the temple and you offer your sacrifices. You're doing the religious duties, but you're lacking. What's the modern equivalent? You come to church, you pay your tithes, but in your heart, there's something missing. In your heart, there's something missing. It's possible to have the right Bible, the right music, the right standards, and still be a million miles away from God. Because God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the, the heart. So what's the heart that God wants to get at here in this text? Verse number 14, it says, Offer unto God thanksgiving. Offer unto God thanksgiving. Did you know that complaining is a sin? That's a hard one for me to preach. Because I am guilty every single day. We literally live in quite possibly the most blessed nation in the history of the world as far as financial privileges go. And we are some of the most negative, complaining, depressed, anxious, jealous, prideful people on the planet. Oh, we can go to church. When we walk out in the parking lot, we immediately start complaining about how long that young dude preached. <laughs> we can come to church. We go home and we turn on Fox News. And we're screaming at the TV about how everybody in this country is an idiot. And there's nothing you can do about it but pray. We go to work. And I know, I... I've been a preacher my whole life. I had to work around knuckleheads too. Instead of being thankful, look at all the things we don't have. Did you know that the Bible says in Colossians 3 that covetousness is idolatry? Oh, we don't have idols everywhere like they do in India. But we're not content with such things as we have. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. I don't think most of us have that problem. We have the love of stuff we can get with our money. I don't love money. I love boats. I don't love money. I love guns. I don't love money. I love clothes. I don't love money. I love the respect that I can get with all my money. It's the same thing. If we have to have something other than God to be satisfied, that's an idol. Oh, I'm not saying I have it all together because I have that same struggle. But I think most of us are a lot further from God than we realize. Of the good things we do are so we can get recognized and not for the glory of God. But I'm getting ahead of myself because that's the next verse. But Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Are you a thankful person? Or do you just focus on the things you don't have and the things that go wrong? As Pastor Bruce read this morning, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his 
holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I used to ask, when I read that, I would say, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I've traveled a lot in the South, and there they have this saying, bless their heart. It's like, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. Bless its heart. That's just, that's just what they say. Or, your nose is more redder than Rudolph's. Bless your heart. You know, that's just, that's, that's their culture. Bless your heart. And, or we'll say, God bless you, right? Kind of as our pitch to say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, God bless you. But how do we bless God? You know what I mean? How could I bless God? But did you know that God wants us to bless him too? And one of the number one ways that you can show that you love him is by being thankful. I don't have kids, but I work a lot with kids. And isn't it very meaningful when you do for something for somebody and they come up and they just say, hey, thanks, I appreciate it. I'm not, a, I'm not a parent, but those of you who are, you feed them, you clothe them, you pay for their education, you get them a phone, you try to keep them from killing themselves for the first six years of their lives. And then they go through puberty and they think you're an idiot. And you're like, you wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for me, right? And sometimes I think God looks down and he thinks the same thing about me. You wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for me. And you're not thankful. All you care about is what you can get. All you care about is the next find. All you care about is your little problems and you don't care about what I'm trying to do in the world. And God says, I'm kind of tired of your religiosity. You can offer the sacrifices. You can look right on the outside. But what I really want is for you to just love me and thank me for how amazing I am. And that's a daily practice. Here's what I've been trying to do the last month. I've been trying to wake up and thank God for three things every morning. It'll change your day when you start to be thankful. You'll start to feel happier. It benefits you. So number one, God wants us to recognize his goodness. Number two, he wants us to respect his greatness. Look at what he says in verse number 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Have you ever made a promise to God? God, I'll never do it again. God, if you give me this, I will do this for you. God, I promise I will have my devotions this year. I promise I will read my Bible. I promise I will be more forgiving. God, I promise I will be more patient. God, I promise I will surrender my sacrifices. God, I promise I'll stop being angry. God, I promise. And so you fail, so you try to make up for it in other ways, right? Like, well, I kind of stink at being spiritual in this way, but I'll be spiritual in this way. And God says, stop trying to cover it up and just do what you said you're going to do. Now, we have to remember that the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. My pastor used to say that all the time. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, nobody can live up to that. Absolutely nobody can live up to the expectations God has. Now, too many of us think, well, I go to church and I vote Republican. What more does he want? <laughs> I did my duty. <laughs> I'm cheated on my wife. Like, what, what else is... He wants a lot more than you could ever give. He wants everything. He wants everything. Which makes you realize how much he's asking for. You can never do it. And it's either really discouraging or it makes you realize how patient and loving God is with his church. 
God doesn't love you because you're here this morning. God doesn't love you because you're religious. God loves you because as it says in 1 John 4, 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God. Love. love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Brethren, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You cannot be holy if you are not loving. Now, here's your Bible reading assignment this week. Go read 1 Corinthians 13 because that describes what love is. When I was working in a, at the airport, I would drive the belt loaders, push the planes out. I don't know why they trust an 18-year-old kid to do it, but they did. So if you ever lost a bag, it might have been my fault. I'm sorry about that. But I remember I was working in the baggage area, and obviously they're blaring whatever music. And there was some stupid marathon on that day, and they played this same song for three hours straight. It, I, was, I, I thought I was going to lose it. You know, I, I think I should get workman's comp for you know, mental <laughs> issues after that three hours. And the song goes like this. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me no more. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. And it literally goes on like that. For seven minutes of the, some of you know the song, you're like, why'd you do that to me, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and they played that song for three hours. And I was like, I don't know what it is, but it's not that song. <laughs> now, in the church, we all know we should love each other, but sometimes we don't know what love looks like because we had imperfect modeling, whether it be our parents, our society, another pastor we were under. So if you want to know what love is, go home and read 1 Corinthians 13 and ask God to work the fruit of the Spirit into your life. Love is patient. Love is kind. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Some people are like, well, I told him the truth. He's an idiot, so I love him. No, no, no. <laughs> speak the truth in love. It's not just speaking the truth. It's your motive and how you say it. And so the church, Jesus said in John 13, this shall all men know you are my disciples really big Bible to work. That's not wrong, but Jesus said by this, and know your disciples, you have love one for another. I like Brother Wilson. I don't know, he just, he kind of gets that loving Santa Claus vibe. I really like him. Usually I can't tell if people like me. I think they're trying to figure me out, you know. Skinny guy with the beard, you know, we're all kind of like analyzing each other. Where is this guy at? You know, he's a millennial, so he's probably a little bit liberal. You know, people, Brother Wilson says, two minutes into our conversation, you know what? I like you. I'm like, well, thank you. I like you too. He says, you know why? Because of this. And mine used to be that color too. <laughs> and that's just a little thing. That's so little. But I immediately was like, okay, I'm safe here. I'm safe in this church because somebody just threw out a little bit of love. And you know what God wants from you? He wants you to pay your vows. But more important than some vow that you're probably not going to be able to keep is that you love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Because the Christian life is not lived through effort. The Bible says the spirit lusteth against the flesh. They're warring, so you cannot do the things you would. Romans 7, Paul, the most spiritual man who I think... <laughs> ever lived, said the things I don't want to do I'm doing and the things I don't want to do I, oh wretched man that I am the only hope for us is, is not self-discipline, it's a transformation through the Holy Spirit 
You see, and that's not practical. Sometimes when I'm preaching, people are like, Micah, that was, that was really deep, but I just want something practical. What do I need to do? What you need to do is you need to give your life to God and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to change in me? And then do that. Because it's easy to keep a list and think you're spiritual. A checklist. But true spiritual transformation comes from the Spirit of God changing you from the inside out. That's God's work, and that's, that's what I want. And so God says, quit. Quit acting religious and just, just do what you said you're going to do. I think we all have something we need to repent of this morning and say, God, you need to start changing me in here. And then the last thing that we're going to look at comes in verse number 15. We need to rely on God's grace. It says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Does God get the glory for everything good in your life? Because he should. He should. If you're good looking, who made you that way? We all wish we could be good looking, right? If you're very talented in the area of music, who made you that way? I know it took hard work, but trust me, I took piano for 10 years and I stunk. And there's this kid in my church, and he could just hear a song and play it. That's a gift. And that was from God. Let me pause for a moment and, and, and point the finger at us as Americans sometimes. We're very proud. I'm thankful for my country, but the only pride I have is that I'm part of the kingdom of God. Paul said, I will not glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's more important to build the kingdom of God than any other kingdom. And Americans work very hard. We are busy, stressed people. Yep. We're busy, stressed people. And you know what we need to be building? God, it doesn't matter about my reputation, the big house I own. What matters is that I walk with you and I'm content with what you've yeah. given me. Yeah. But sometimes we're prideful. I work hard and I earn this. I just want to humbly say after spending literally years of my life in third world countries, there are people who work themselves to the bone and they will never have what you have simply because they weren't born here. And when you take pride in your car and your success and your accomplishments, you forget to thank God that you were born here and not in Malawi, Africa, where the government steals $25 million of government funds to send their kids to Ivy League schools and on vacations while the poor kids can't get it. stealing it all. But they're going to be stuck there, and their hope is Jesus. Sometimes we as Americans get proud of what we built, forgetting that every good and perfect gift cometh from above. God says, call unto me, and I will rescue you, and then the glory will go to me. Are we dependent on God's grace, or are we dependent on our own might and strength? I've preached, I'm, I'm, I know I'm only 31, I'm young without the beard, I look 18, it's awful, but I've preached in enough churches to know that in a church this size, there's a lot of brokenness. There's no doubt adultery going on in this church somewhere. There's addictions. There's rebellion. There's broken marriages. We know how to look good on Sunday, and I think most people would be shocked how much sin there actually is in the church. And the only hope is God's grace. We got to be humble people. Because God resists the proud. 
And some of us think because we're not liberal, the problem is out there. Too many believers, I've preached in probably 300 independent Baptist churches over the last 10 years. Too many churches are pointing the finger at the voters on the other side. And they're not saying the light of the world has lost its savor. My dad, I have four younger brothers. And when people would compliment us, they'd say say to my dad, your kids are really well behaved. The first thing he would say is, yeah, in between beatings. And then the the second thing he would say is this. Yeah, they're cute and cuddly little unconverted reprobates. (laughs) And we need to remember something. America is just a blip in history. And I'm thankful for our heritage. I am so thankful. I wouldn't, I'm not knocking that. But we cannot forget that America is made up of sinners. And sinners are going to do what sinners do best. And that is sin. Sometimes we expect too much from people who are paid to tell us what we want to hear. Sometimes we expect too much from people who are lost. Why would you, why would you want to change your gender? Well, maybe because they were abused. Maybe because they grew up in a society that's promoted. What they need to know is the grace of God. We have got to get our eyes onto the one true Savior and start calling on him. Not just for them, but for us. God, I got an addiction. God, I'm a jerk. God, I am prideful and jealous. I am worldly because I love things of the world. God, I'm constantly blaming everybody. God, I'm self-righteous. God, I'm a Pharisee. You you cannot look like a Pharisee on the outside and be one on the inside. I know because that's one of my biggest problems. And we got to stop. God, thank you for everything you've given me. God, I'm going to keep my vows. And the number one vow I can keep is you have my life. And number three, God, you are the only Savior. And we need your grace in our lives so we can glorify you. So now it's time to respond. We're going to have an invitation. That's what we do. You can come forward if you're ready to be humble. You can kneel at your seat. Maybe you need to go to somebody in the church, ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody you need to call up today. Let them know you'll love them. Thankfulness, commitment to walk in the Spirit, and humility, recognizing God is the only hope. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father.